Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is this beautiful Magnificat of Mary with her encounter with Elizabeth. I won't read the text again. It is a question in our mind as to how it is that we are able to bring a perfect praise to God. You know, we use the word a lot, that we praise him. But how exactly does praise come about? Well, sometimes, I guess maybe we feel as though we are we're fortunate, and so we give God thanks and praise. Zechariah and Elizabeth probably felt pretty fortunate, too that they had been given this wonderful gift of being able to be the parents of John the Baptist, who was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. It is believed that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in a city called Hebron, which is in the hill country. It was the first capital of King David prior to the conquest of Jerusalem. It is there in Hebron also that a cave is located called the Cave of Machpelah. And there inside of that cave, Abraham and his wife Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, they are all buried there in that cave and their tombs remain there to this day. I would well imagine that one would almost feel like, well, to simply be near to such a relic such as this, that there could be a kind of a special transference that would take place, like touching an icon. This morning it was interesting that as I was sitting there doing my prayers on my computer, suddenly former members of ours who were overseas suddenly were there at the Jordan River on Facebook, and we were conversing about there, this place where John the Baptist had supposedly baptized all his people. And there in the picture that he sent, there were a bunch of people standing there in those waters as though baptism suddenly becomes much more special if one is being baptized actually at the very same place where John the Baptist had baptized. Is that water any more special? No, but sometimes we like to be able to believe that just simply by being near to something which has been holy in the past that somehow this will transfer on to us as well. This happens in, a, in the secular world as well, this idea of transference. Whenever you see a movie star, if you run into one, it seems as though there's some piece of fame that gets transferred over to you. Maybe if you've met a great sports character or maybe if you've met somebody who's famous in politics, somehow kind of that transference of Jews comes over and we feel as though our life has become so much better as a result of it. I think this might also be some of the dynamics for why there has been such a veneration of Mary. She was, of course, the mother of God, the mother of the Son of God. And we can kind of get that, can't we, that this person is unbelievably special. Probably no individual in the world outside of our Lord is more famous. And what's interesting about that is that her personality as a result of it is almost non-existence. She was seen as 
a sinless woman. But this is what happens when we become venerated. The real person, the person just like you and me, disappears. We marvel how it is that famous people, rich people, when they become so famous, they fall into despair and become suicidal. When you become an idol, your glory is always in the eye of the worshiper, but they don't ever see the real person. The person doesn't exist. Isn't it interesting that this text, inspired by the Holy Spirit in so many different ways, seems to do just the opposite? Mary is not made into an idol. She is totally and completely human, a real person. What do we find in this text? In the first place, Mary's mission was to rapidly go and find her kinswoman, Elizabeth, as the angel had told her that this woman who was old and in her older years had suddenly become pregnant. I think somehow women understand this thing better. Sisters run to be with sisters. Mothers feel drawn to their daughters. Close and dear female friends want to be with each other in both tough times and in moments of great joy. There's something enormously human about that. We also find that the praise of Mary, her honor did not come from kings and lords that were above her, but came from something far beneath her, from a child in the womb of her mother, his mother. Thou hast, out of babes and sucklings, the scriptures say in Jesus, quotes, thou hast ordained perfect praise. Sucklings, children who are being nursed, and that word is also used for the baby that was in the womb. Mary also gave all praise to God and saw herself merely as a servant in his charge. She certainly was not some mumbling football player giving credit to a coach and a team member for a victory. Mary was an eloquent theologian drawing her praise out of Holy Scriptures, like a conductor conducting an orchestra and synthesizing every one of the instruments into a singular form of praise. What she is using in this Magnificat comes straight out of the Old Testament. Genesis 25, 30, 17, 18, and 22. Deuteronomy 28, Psalm 132, 35, 113, 111, 103, 89, 147, 107, and 34. Second Samuel, Hosea, Isaiah, Job, Ezekiel. She lived and she breathed the scriptures. She cries out, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices upon this God my Savior, one directed to heaven, the other directed to the child that was in her womb. He has looked upon his lowly servant, the word that Tapai knows, the word that is used for Jesus as he rides upon a donkey coming into Jerusalem, lowly. He has done a mega thing for me. 
Holy is his name. And his mercy, his mercy goes on from generation to generation to generation. Isn't it interesting that our praise and our honor and our glory is not in who we know who is above us. It is always in what we know and who knows us. Yeah, who knows us? I guess in order to be able to be known, to have somebody know us, there has to be some aspect of us becoming real people. That's not possible wherever there is idolatry, as we said before, because idolatry erases the person. And whether it is that other people put that upon us or we do it to ourselves, it's like that fable, mirror, mirror on the wall. As we look into the mirror, who is the fairest of them all? Is it possible for us to idolize ourselves? Not only is it possible, but it's inevitable. For idolatry erases the person, and then it also erases the sins of the person. The result ends up being the exact same thing that happens to movie stars. Isolation, loneliness, and unknowability in that wonderful state of being an idol. Do you begin to see why it is that God's mercy is so incredibly important? Why his grace is so important to our joy in life? For when we can be honest about ourselves, who we really are about ourselves as persons appears. And that's when we become knowable and we get to know others too. And that is how it is that we find joy in the lives of others by sharing their life with them and us with them. Thus Mary goes to Elizabeth and we get a glimpse of what it is that God's mercy towards us as sinful people does. Well, joy. Here we see it in these two women, an uncontrollable, inexpressible, rapturous joy set against the backdrop of so much pain. Elizabeth and the pain and the heartache of all those years of not being able to have a child, the desire of her life, and sometimes even the shame of believing that there was something wrong with her. Not only did this turn into a personal joy, but in that angelic announcement, it meant that her son was going to be the harbinger, the one who was going to proclaim the coming of the Messiah and to prepare an entire people for this salvation. For Mary, this insignificant place that she lived and her place in time, a coming marriage to a carpenter, yeah, a life of manual labor ahead of her, a life, no doubt, with pain and suffering, suddenly now all eclipsed in the most wonderful news of all creation that God had finally 
chosen this time to invade the world in fulfillment of his promises to destroy death and hell and to remove the curse of sin that the devil's designs would no longer be the power that would rule over men. And out of all the women in the world, this young, unworthy woman from Nazareth, this woman who was nowhere in life, had suddenly been given the privilege of becoming the mother of the Messiah, the Son of God. The more that they saw the vast chasm that existed between them as unworthy people and the honor that God had given them and bestowed upon them, the more they became, the more real they were, the more they were able to embrace one another, and the more they were able to experience the rapturous joy of life. Where our Lord brings that kind of joy to us as redeemed sinners, he joins our prayer and makes it into praise. But he always does it in places and in ways that are totally contrary to the way that the world does it. The world always seeks praise from those who are above us. I'd like to be able to have an award. I'd like to have a prize. I'd like to have the acclaim of my boss. I'd like to have a vitae that tells me that I am important from people who are even more important than I am. But God puts his praise not above us, but below us. In the weakest, in the most dependent, in who we serve, not who serves us. As Paul said, God chose what is weak and despised in this world and the things that are not in order to make foolish the things that are in order that no human being might boast in his sight. Yeah, every mother knows that her greatest praise comes from that baby babbling thanksgiving and praise. That is where God puts it below us. It's there in our vocations. It's not so far away from the people that we serve in our jobs when those people who are in need, those who are the weakest, are below us. Scriptures say the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that is why, like Mary, we give all praise and honor and glory to God alone. Because as Mary said, he scatters the proud and the imagination of their hearts. And he casts down the mighty from their thrones. And he lifts up the lowly through a remembrance of his mercy. Where is praise therefore to be found? Praise is to be found where the Son of God comes and he enters our world beneath us in order that when we embrace him for his grace and for his mercy, out of our mouths flows rapturous joy and praise. Amen.
May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.